Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 87 of DN Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Ben Bumhopper. How are you doing tonight, Ben? I am doing pretty great. Um, also a little confused because I thought I saw my cat go into like a little tower thing and then she disappeared. So who knows what's going on with that? But cats, at, am I am I right? Exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> as always, I am a bit more excited than normal. And for people who've been listening to the show for a while, you know what that means. That means we have a guest tonight. Uh, joining us this evening is the wonderful Daniel Kwan. Daniel, how are you doing? this evening i'm i'm really good i'm just bummed that the conversation we had didn't get recorded (laughs) (laughs) so so we'll probably have to retread some of this because uh it turns out that daniel is super interesting and has done a lot of cool stuff uh he'll have to tell everybody about his uh love of direct to dvd I love director. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love directed DVD action movies so much. Oh my gosh, I love it. Uh, so we're going to talk about several different things tonight. Daniel brings uh, with him a wealth of expertise on many different uh, topics. But Daniel, I wanted to turn it over to you first to just kind of introduce yourself. Uh, just tell people a little bit about yourself and uh, what you've been up to in the last several years. Yeah. Hey there. My name is Daniel Kwan. I am a game designer, freelance writer, cultural consultant, and podcaster. Uh, I am the sort of showrunner and co-host of the Any Award-winning Asians Represent podcast. Um, I've worked on RPG products uh, across spanning genres. I've worked on war games, uh, board games. I guess of note, I was one of the co-authors of Candlekeep Mysteries. Uh, contributing designer to the Avatar Legends RPG, worked on, I guess I could say it now, three Paizo books, uh, Dark Archive, and the upcoming Tiansha Character and World Guides. Those were uh, recently announced, weren't they? Yeah, those were recently yeah, yeah. announced. Um, and uh, my my first RPG, though, is actually a war game uh, called Ross Rifles. It's a, uh, a World War One powered by the apocalypse hack about the Canadian Expeditionary Force. That's oh, super cool. That is neat. But, yeah. <laughs> I worked on a lot of RPGs. I was actually kind of like going through my portfolio just to make sure like everything was kind of up to date. And uh, to date, I've worked on more, more stuff that I had actually anticipated. Um, I've worked on 38 RPGs, oh, board wow. games, war wow. games, or actual plays. Um, some stuff I can't talk about uh, yet. Um, but yeah, I've worked on small games. I've worked on obviously big ones for huge publishers. Um, I, I love all of them. Yeah. So you're I, saying people will just have to follow you after this episode so they can keep abreast of, I, I would say that there. the two things I am most proud of haven't been released yet in my entire career. Ooh. Like a candle keep was like a huge, like achievement for me, like a personal achievement. Like I've been playing D and D for 22 years and writing in a D book was like a huge achievement. Like that That's was super like, cool. It was really cool. Like I've, you know, walked with my mom into a bookstore and been like, that's my book and that's my name. I tried to do that with my dad and they didn't have it in stock. <laughs> um, and my dad was like, I guess it's not popular. <laughs> no, um, I guess it's, it's so popular. popular. It's not in stock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or tough love, you know? Um, but yeah, the two, two, two projects that I've worked on um, haven't come out yet. 
and uh, I am extremely proud of them. Um, so I'm really excited for that. So yeah, people should follow follow me to see what those are. Um, I, I guess in terms of your audience, I guess a lot more. I guess attention. I don't like I don't like the idea of like like attention. I guess, um, but a lot more eyes. I guess are on me because of the D and D summit. And the yes. sort of summary I wrote of it, and the Twitter thread that I wrote on it as an attendee. Yes. Um, so let's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's talk about that. Let's sure. talk about that a little bit. Um, and this was this wasn't something we actually had planned. This was just something that happened to take place uh, this past Monday, mm-hmm. uh, and it just so happened that you were coming on, and I didn't want that to be the focus because you you've done so much cooler other cool stuff besides just going to this D and D summit, but there was no NDA on the summit. Um, yeah, there was no NDA. And I also agreed to, you know, be on this because like we, we, we were talking more than just the summit because I, I think for listeners, a lot of people have reached out to me being like, Oh, I want to, can I interview you about the summit? Can we do a podcast just about the summit? And I'll tell them like, I also don't want to kind of use the summit as like, a, Oh, all eyes on me sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. everything that I kind of wrote and shared about the summit is, is what I know. Um, yeah. I, the goal was to be extremely transparent about it. Uh, the, which is why I took recordings of every single session and all of the quotes that are in my summary are direct quotes of what was said. Um, that's, so I'm that's very proud of it. Awesome. Yeah. You, you had a day I was following you on twi- the, your Twitter thread most of the day for updates. I was like, how is he still awake after, after all that? Your brain must've been mush after that. It still whole, is. Whole day. It still is. <laughs> I, um, I was basically, cause I'm in Eastern, uh, time. So it started at around like noon Eastern and I finished writing at the end of the day at around midnight. Ooh, so yeah. I kind of did like a 12 hour straight thing. Long day. The summit ended at around like 9 p.m. And then I was chatting with some folks in like a discord afterwards. But pretty much the entire time I was writing or like re-listening <laughs> to recordings um, to like to get those direct quotes. Yeah. Um, so I spent the entire day pretty much I think that was the most tweeting I've done in a really long time. <laughs> it was it was appreciated. And I mean, I you can you can see that a lot of people have really latched on to it. And just for listeners, we will have a link to Daniel's full Substack mm-hmm. article. I think you said it came in at like 5000 words. Yeah, it's, it's just <laughs> like it's like 4900 or 5000 words. Yeah, it's something like that. It's like a 23 minute read. Um, one thing I was really trying to make sure I did was like I have like a, a separate Patreon, but I was like, it wouldn't be right to post that on my Patreon, even if it was free. I don't want to drive people to anything that I have that's monetized. My Substack is, I very explicitly say on my Substack that it is free. Um, and I don't want to get any sort of like monetary gain from that. Because like the goal with posting and the whole goal of me actually going to the summit was to try to like, A, you know, have some questions be answered, but also like bring the community along with me with mm-hmm. that tweet thread and with my yeah, Substack yeah. post because they wizards to their credit was they were very transparent about like hey anything that you know we share with you you can share with the public and I said cool anything means everything yeah, <laughs> yeah. so no, I think 
And so I, I just great. kind of went for it in a way where, you know, I was trying to, you know, be transparent. Um, I was trying to be as objective as possible. I was just mm -hmm. trying to say, hey, this is what happened. These were the questions that were asked. These were the answers that we got. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I just try to kind of give people information and let them, you know, yeah. do what they want with well, it. And I mean, that's one of the best ways to really present the material because especially with uh, everything that was going on with, um, uh, you know, the, the shoot, I, OGL. I'm so stupid. Yes. Thank you. The, with the OGL and everything like that, things were kind of, you know, hidden behind, uh, you know, just like, uh, publicity talk and, and everything like that. Yeah. Like being as transparent as possible, giving out all the information. I think it really helped a lot of people realize that, Hey, you know, the stuff that happened really might not have been the creators who absolutely love everything that they're doing and trying to, to create and, and give, you know, this fun product to, to people to kind of play around with. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's really more of a good look at, uh, you know, the actual creators and the process and everything along those lines. So I really appreciate all the work that you put into it. And I know that I'm definitely not the only one. No, I thank you. I just, I kind of just, I, I, again, like, I don't want to make it about me. It's just like, Hey, I, I had an opportunity and I wanted to make sure everyone mm -hmm. was included. I do the same thing with like my freelance work when people approach me. Like I have a day job. I don't work in games full time. Um, I have the luxury of being able to select which opportunities I take. Um, and that's I realize good. that that's also a privilege. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. And, you know, when folks reach out to me, I, more often than not, I'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm not available right now to do this. But do you know this person? And I will always pass on opportunities because that's Very how cool. I got a lot of opportunities. Mm -hmm. And that's how, you know, in sort of the, the Asian RPG community, we're always like, oh, I know another Asian person who, who might be better <laughs> for this. And we're always passing off opportunities to each other or getting them passed to us. Um, one thing I'll always do is um, I'll always say, hey, can I bring a friend? That's kind of my thing. Yeah, and yeah. if somebody asks me like, hey, you know, do you want to write this? And like, I don't have, maybe I might not have the bandwidth, but I might be interested. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, you know, I think I know somebody who might be really good for this. And we're like, hey, can I bring a friend? I will split my pay. Yeah, like 50-50 with them. That's that's really the definition of true community. Mm -hmm. And that's what right. I wanted with this with this article was just like, hey, uh, there is a there's a creator on Twitter who was also a digital attendee, uh, Dungeon Glitch, um, and he, he I think he put the nicest tweet out. It was kind of capturing what I was trying to do, and he basically said, if you read this, it's like you were sitting next to Daniel at the summit, and that's all I wanted, um, yeah. so that everybody could participate yeah no, that's, and you that's definitely awesome. get that feeling it's yeah yeah it, it's great it's very thorough and gives you just the information that you never would have thought that you'd glean yeah so. and, and you know what there was some exciting stuff honestly the i'm i thought the art that they showed us was incredible i mean mm -hmm. there were a lot of issues that were not discussed and i don't need to say more it's like it's all in my thing yeah but i will say like the art that they showed us was incredible and I yeah, I mean, let's the let's, fighter let's, is a cool yeah, class now. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let like I, that's I don't want to necessarily dive into this whole thing point yeah, by yeah. point. Like we're going to we'll link this in our show notes. Mm -hmm. You can go read it. Like it's a, Anything it's a, that I would say now is yeah, I would just be reading from my notes, which you folks can already read. Yeah, uh, I think the best in summary, since we've been talking about it, just to give people a little bit, what were your like highs and lows? Yeah. What would you say um, were your, your highs and lows from the summit? 
just in, in, in any aspects? I think the ambiguity of it was certainly a low with the technical issues. Um, if you if you watch my if you read my Twitter thread, you could see that like half of us got locked out or we were kind of because you were a digital only attendee. And there <laughs> I, yeah, were some who were in a, person. Yeah. So long story short, I was invited to go in person and the email invitation went to my junk mail. Oh, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it went to my junk mail. And, you know, it worked out for the best because I don't think I would have actually been able to write this if I had been there in person. Mm hmm. Um, because I wouldn't have been able to, I, I guess I could have brought a mic and I would have been like, listen back, but I don't think I could have done it as, uh, expediently as yeah. I, as I did as a remote guest. Um, but yeah, uh, full transparency, they invited me to go in person. I missed the email. Um, but I still wanted to attend because I wanted to, you know, kind of understand what they were talking about. And so they invited me, uh, digitally, uh, in terms of, uh, I guess highs, I think it was really cool just like seeing my peers, like meeting a lot of people, uh, finding out that there were other creators that are in Toronto where I live. Uh, so we're going to like try to meet up and stuff. That's awesome. Um, I think product highs, um, I'm most excited about honestly the art. Uh, like the red dragon art and the black dragon art they showed us was like, oh, it's so beautiful. I heard it was something like all pretty much all new art for pretty like much. monster monster manual DMG and PHB. Yeah, pretty much all new art. There will be like obviously familiar characters, but the art style also looks a little bit different um, in a good way. I really like the art. Um, I guess second high for me is I really like the changes they're making to weapons in D and D because my my favorite edition of D and D is three point five. Mm. Um, I've been very vocal, but I was like, that's my edition. <laughs> that's, the, that's the one that like, I have the most system mastery with. Um, I, I, I love 3.5. I just love the sheer amount of content. Not all of it's good, but I just, I like variety. <laughs> you can <laughs> I pick like and choose what you want. Yeah, yeah. Like I like that. Yeah. Like my favorite book is complete warrior. Like I love that. I just have this book. I love that. I have the epic level handbook and I never used it because it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> um, but I like having that sort of variety. Um, I like the, the math in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I also like that there is some mechanical depth to it. So I like that they've kind of brought that into this, like whatever they're calling revised fifth edition um, with weapon mastery or uh, mastery properties, basically. In so they're actually differentiating the weapons finally beyond so, just flavor. So yeah, so essentially, you know, right now weapons in 5e have like properties on them, like, mm -hmm. you know, finesse. Um, but there's also this new thing called a mastery. And if you have mastery in a certain weapon, you have access to a new property um, that you have on the weapon. And the example that I used in um, like my write-up was actually the one on the greatsword. I think somebody posted a, uh, uh, like a screenshot uh, of that, but... For the greatsword, there is literally a property called graze. And in it, essentially, is if you miss an attack, you still get to deal damage equal to your ability modifier for the weapon. Oh, that's nice. cool. And it's kind of like this neat uh, sort of mechanical extension of the narrative you know, idea of this massive sword. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's really neat. And um, they talked about how the fighter is actually going to be a character that interacts the most with weapon mastery and may actually be able to shift weapon mastery properties around with, you know, certain parameters. Well, that's so cool. I think it's actually quite interesting because the first character I ever made was a fighter. I Very went through a cool. phase. 
with yeah. your face. Yeah, <laughs> and mean, a lot of a lot of people say that that's like the least mechanical depth in a lot of uh, just in a lot of five E play. Just in a lot of five E play, yeah, certainly. Uh, before you know, you the fighter was like the class that just got all of the feats, and yeah. you would just get tons of feats. <laughs> yes. and you, I, I, I had a very predictable trajectory for all the characters I played, and it was like. I go fighter and then take some levels in sorcerer and then I immediately rush to arcane archer. I just play arcane <laughs> archer. Uh, and the arcane archer is my favorite prestige class. I love it so much. Followed by the order of the bow initiate. Very cool. I like archery. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I, I'm totally with you on that too. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought they were so cool. And this, you know, and, and this was around the time when the Lord of the Rings movies were coming out and, Legolas in the films was oh so gosh. cool to young me, and I was like, oh, "This totally. is how I could do it at D and D." And the arcade archer was neat because I could like, "Oh, I could shoot an arrow that goes through walls, or like a heat-seeking arrow." Or, oh yeah, ah, that's so neat. Super cool. Super cool. Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's super fun. Um, yeah, I'm, ex so, oh, I'm excited guess, that they're playing around with it. Yeah, so I guess those are like my highs, like so, like the community aspect of mm -hmm. it, like being able to you know see people, meet people. And, and then, of course, you know, the the art and my excitement, personal excitement about the fighter. Mm -hmm. um, I think in terms of lows, like certainly there were technical issues. I was very vocal about it on Twitter, how like, you know, the virtual attendees were, you know, it was really hard to ask questions as a virtual attendee. Um, I think that it just kind of showed there, there wasn't a, a lot of experience with this kind of event um, to, to be... I guess, diplomatic about it. Um, but I think they'll learn from it. And I think that there are some good people at Wizards of the Coast who are trying to like push this hobby forward. And I think Dixon, uh, who everybody was talking about, kind of became a folk hero like that, that, that on Monday uh, in showing like that he is like a, like a true advocate for like the community, not creators, but for like the community. Um, and that's their community relations manager. Yeah. I, I don't know if manager, but community relations. Yeah, that's what Dixon does. I hope I certainly hope Dixon gets a raise um, after that. <laughs> but yeah, I um, I think a low would also be like just like the experience was really different for everyone. Like I had a really good experience, um, like speaking with Dixon. Uh, we had these like small virtual sort of breakout rooms in the morning and I sat in one with a whole bunch of other like people and we just chatted with Dixon and just questions, questions, questions. Um, but then I learned that not everybody had that experience. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, um, what I've said here is, is pretty much, you know, reflective of what I wrote in, in my write up. It was, um, there was a lot of ambiguity surrounding the event. Um, but I think I tried to make the most of it not for myself, but I think for the community and just be like, Hey, this is, this is what happened here. Yeah. Here are, here are all of the details. Yeah. And hopefully they will take those lessons learned for whenever they do this again mm -hmm. and yeah. make sure they have time for addressing some of the concerns and such that I, I hope was, so. We're talked about. I'm like cautiously optimistic. That's that's uh, good. That's, a good place to, <laughs> that's yeah, better. But, that's better than we all felt during the OGL thing. So yeah, I mean the OGL thing was a, really disheartening, and like yeah. I designed like a whole whole new game during the OGL fiasco. <laughs> 
Because I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be doing this. Like d and I should say. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the OGL thing was really, uh, really weird. Because I also got uh, like a, a holiday package from them. Literally the day before the OGL news broke. I was like, I'm not talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> that's hard. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah it's, it's still in the a, box, that's a, actually. That's a rough one. It's still in the box. And like, I, I really don't like, it was weird because I don't really think of myself as an influencer. I understand that like I have a platform and by definition, I guess I'm a micro influencer. Um, but like, I, I'm not like a news channel. Um, I talk about representation uh, in RPGs and in, in media. Uh, like I'm a writer. Um, I, I don't like we do some actual play, but not really. That's not our thing. Yeah. Um, uh, it would have been nice at the event to actually see more writers. Um, it was a lot of like actual play news folks. Um, yeah. But uh, I think not it as been many nice writers to, and editors. Yeah. And it would have been nice to have a lot of variation there. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. And I um, I hope that folks got some value from my write up in and kind of understood that you know like my goal was just like i'm just going to attend and try to have as much transparency as possible with with what we were told yeah no and we we really we really appreciate that and honestly i think this is a really good transition because you mentioned uh one of your big things is representation Mm -hmm. uh and one of the one of the um reasons I really wanted to have you on was to talk some, not just about your writing work, which we'll definitely talk about um, as well, but your cultural consultant work. Because yeah. I think it's it's a word you sometimes hear, but I think a lot of people have no idea what that means or a very vague <laughs> idea, or maybe don't even know it exists because it is a huge thing, especially in these these RPGs, um, and it should be a huge thing, especially for these big companies that are very multi-regional, multicultural, and pulling yep. inspiration from a mm-hmm. myriad of of sources and places. So I wanted to really uh, kind of talk to you about that, so you could explain, you know, what that is, what kind of work you do, and why that's important. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people here are kind of thrown around. I mean, certainly people hear it thrown around in a negative way, a positive way. For many, it's like an enigma. Um, In gaming, a cultural consultant isn't uh, sort of a role or um, like a term that's used exclusively in gaming. That's the one thing to start. In gaming, though, a cultural consultant is basically an umbrella term for professionals who are hired to basically help verify that a product doesn't contain like offensive representations mm-hmm. of cultures uh, before the product goes to market, right? Um, and essentially, like, the goal of the consultant is to essentially minimize harm. So yeah. within gaming, you know, sometimes the term, like, cultural developer is used uh, because their role is not only to look at, like, the, the narrative of the game, but also how it connects to, like, the mechanics, and how you know the narrative and the mechanical components of the game interface. Um, cultural consultants essentially work through something called like a content audit. So it's essentially like an in-depth review of the contents of a product. It might be, um, hey, can you take a look at the art? Or can you read this section or read the entire book or look at the product in its entirety uh, to essentially like identify and triage issues that need to be resolved. Um, and this can either be done reactively. So like, hey, we finished the entire product. Can you take a look at it? 
or it could be done proactively. <laughs> we're like, hey, I'm starting to work on this project right now. Uh, and before I go any further, like I really want to have somebody take a pass at this before I develop some ideas yeah. uh, like, you know, in a, in a potentially harmful direction. I assume um, that's usually the best way to go about it, if you can. It is one of the best ways to go about it, because I think that some folks will think, oh, a cultural consultant is like a stamp of approval. But what you really should have is, you know, uh, like a diverse team of, if possible, right? I understand that there are indie creators who probably listen to this and it's like, well, I am me, right? Best case scenario, you involve a cultural consultant like early on. Um, even better is if you do have a team and you hire not only a cultural consultant or two, but also a diverse group of creators and decision makers. Mm -hmm. um, because cultural consultants aren't a stamp of approval and can certainly, especially when used reactively, just be ignored. Mm -hmm. right? Like I yeah. can go and work on a project and say, okay, this is like, you can't do this. But they're like, okay, well, we already printed it. So, so why am I here? Why, why am I here? <laughs> yeah. Right? Don't credit me. Yeah. Um, or, you know, um, you know, some folks are like, well, I have a diverse team. I don't need a cultural consultant. Uh, but there are also people who everybody carries their own innate biases. Yeah. Right? Or just because you hire a person of color doesn't mean they have the expertise. That yeah, it's an expertise thing, right? It, it's it's in part an expertise thing because a lot of people are probably listening and are like, okay, well, what qualifications should a cultural consultant have? First of all, yeah. there isn't like a governing body of cultural consultants in games. Um, this is still very, very new. But in general, like a, a good cultural consultant should be someone who belongs to the group that could be affected by the harm you're trying to mitigate. <laughs> yeah. So if it's like, yeah. I need a cultural consultant because I'm working on this Asian game and you go and hire a white person, like oh, that's probably not the best idea. But this person that you hire, not only should they be of that group that is affected by the harm, but they should also have some combination of uh, extensive knowledge based on lived experience and academic expertise and or mm -hmm. academic expertise. So ideally you have like a blending of those three. One, you have like, they gotta be from that group. They yeah. have to be from that group uh, because that like their culture, right? That's their culture. Um, and then you have to have some sort of lived experience or academic expertise, right? Um, I have some folks who will like go to me and be like, okay, uh, I have this project that features, you know, feudal Japan or whatnot. And I have like a lot of knowledge and academic expertise uh, from my time as an ac academic. And uh, my master's is actually in Japanese archaeology. Um, but I am not Japanese. Uh, so I am not the best person. Like I could do the job, mm -hmm. but I'm not the best person. And it's not in my opinion. And again, this is where my privilege comes from as somebody who doesn't need to work in this industry to survive. I don't feel like it would be morally right for me to take that job when I know that, hey, I know another person, Emma Yasui, who is also academically trained, has lived experience and is Japanese. Yeah. 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 So I'll be like, hey, I recommend this person. Uh, other times there are folks who, are, who can't take the job and recommend it to me. Um, but those are like the three sort of qualifications one should look for. Like, you know, do they come from the group? Do they have that extensive knowledge that comes from lived experience and or academic expertise? 
when you uh, kind of first start on a project, like let's say it is near the beginning. um, And obviously I'm not looking for specific examples or anything like that, but like, do you find that um, because you're hired, a lot of people are going in with good faith in it, or is it just kind of like a, Oh yeah, we're just doing all this stuff. And like, they're just throwing complete caution to the wind and just being like the absolute worst kind of representation that there could possibly be. Um, no, for the most part, I think people who are willing to, at least in my experience, willing to spend money on a cultural consultant, like at least want to try to act on on what the results are. Okay. Um, Instead of like just oh stamp of approval, like you were yeah, saying. Yeah, stamp before. of approval. I I <laughs> I try to do some research on who they are and I try to sit down at because you did ask like what happens at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Um I do try to sit down with them and be like, okay. Well, before I even like agree to do this, can you tell me about the project? Like, what's your timeline? Yeah. What are your goals with this project? Um, and before I even agree to do it, like, what is your budget? Um, if they have like a really small budget, I'm like, I I wouldn't be able to go through your you know 400 page book for your I know 100 dollar budget, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but like, well, how can we kind of like focus on what I would look at based on your budget? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, there is usually a lot of conversation to be had at the beginning. Uh, I had actually like a wonderful, um, I, I had a client that I work with a, on a war game and I was brought in like at the beginning, like the game hasn't really even been announced to the public yet, um, to the wider public yet. And person who's like an academic who is like making a war game is an enthusiast and had this like really cool narrative and had a Chinese faction. And um, had reached out to another Chinese cultural consultant, but they didn't have a lot of experience with miniature war games, but knew I did. Like, you know, when I grew up, you know, learning D and also got really into you know Games Workshop products, and like <laughs> yes. most people, yes, right? Like yes. I love the Lord of the Rings, like tabletop war game, like you know, played Warhammer 40k, and I I love sort of indie war games as well. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, oh, you know, reach out to Daniel. Here's the contact info, and. I got in touch with the, they got in touch with me. We talked and we like, we're like, oh man, we just hit it off. Um, And so I went through and looked at, you know, all of their lore. I looked at some of the mechanics and I say, hey, you know, maybe consider renaming this Chinese character to this to match kind of what you're trying to do mechanically or narratively. Or, hey, from a world building perspective, this feels a little off when I'm, Kind of having a conversation with somebody about their product, what I'll I'll typically do is I'll kind of triage my findings into like, hey, this is this is like a critical focus. Like this will cause harm to people. Uh, or I'll be like, hey, this is something that's, you know, if you develop it further, it could cause harm. But people of like my my background or you know, the person who could be affected may already find this potentially icky. And then there are like things that like, leave it as is, don't need to go any further with that. Yeah. Um, so I tend to try, try to triage things and then we go back and forth, almost like an editor would, right? I'll say, hey, here are my initial findings. Um, happy to meet and we talk about it. And then they'll go and they'll work on it. And then sometimes, depending on the nature of the project, it'll come back to me and I'll, I'll, I'll keep working. Other times it'll be like, I get the document or whatever it is. I'll go through with it. I'll send them my results and that's kind of it. That's 
actually really cool. Like, but, the, but for the most part, it's a conversation, right? It's yeah. like I'm not here to yeah. tell you that you're a racist. I'm yeah, not exactly. here to tell you that you're a racist. I'm here to basically say this is how you can make more money on your product because more people will be willing to buy it. It's a yeah. good faith conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it and it's a dialogue. It's not me being critical of you as a human being. It it's me being hired to be critical of your product. And there have been times when I've been hired to work on a product and I find nothing. I'd be like, this is great. Or I find very little. Um, I worked on a product like a board game and the worst thing I found was that a, a, a Chinese character had been flipped on the art. Yeah. That, and once. And I was like, that's the worst thing that I found. Uh, <laughs> and then there are a couple of little historical like anachronisms there. But like, it's not, it's not objectively bad. Although every Asian person or every Chinese person or even folks like in Japan who, who they borrow Chinese characters will see this and be like, that's backwards. The equivalent of having like, like, the, like the bad Asian tattoo, yeah. you know? Um, but they were great, very grateful that I found that. They were like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Very cool. um, uh, yeah, I, I, the results are mixed, right? Sometimes folks, for the most part, are, are like really grateful. Um, other times they, you know, are like, okay, cool, I'll take a look at it, and that's pretty much it. Um, <laughs> I don't hear from them. Um, but for the most part, I think people kind of hire a cultural consultant out of good faith. Now, do you ever, um, like after the product's been released, especially about the ones who are just kind of like, okay, well, we'll, we'll look at it. Do you ever go back and just kind of take a look to see if they did make any of those changes? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> so, sometimes, yeah. But um, I, uh, yeah, I, I'll sometimes do it. I, um, I'll usually talk to them about it and be like, hey, you know, um, this is like... Uh, yeah, I'll, I guess, yeah, sometimes I do. Um, they'll usually send me the product before it comes out and I'll like take a look at it. Cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, just from, from a cultural perspective, yeah. um, we, all, we all know uh, D&D has not had the greatest history in developing other cultures, <laughs> in, yeah, yeah. especially in some of the, the older editions. But I mean, even the... Um, we, they they had the uh, the planescape, yeah, or the uh, what you was mean, it? Spelljammer. You mean spelljammer. spelljammer, yeah, the spelljammer mm-hmm. thing come up, and that was that recent, that was super yeah. recent, and caught and was a big a big deal, and uh, they had they reworked a lot of internal processes, at least uh, apparently because yeah, there was of that, that post, there was that post on like November tenth or something last year that yeah. Jeremy Crawford wrote on D and D Beyond about like moving forward everything will have this internal process I, yeah yeah which is which is good um it's good that they they are doing that it would have been better if it was already in place but it's just one of those things so if if you had the opportunity to take like a D setting like character is that that's what you would do that's their one, asian setting that's their asian that's their, setting. that's their asian setting because that i'm not i was i'm a 5e person I okay. I was I had never played D and I was raised I was a the uh, the old Midwest Christian home where D and D yes yep. was a was a bad <laughs> <devil>. bad word D and D was a bad world role, role playing games were yeah. were not uh, not looked highly upon and so I didn't discover it until maybe two years after Five E came out That's I stumbled awesome. on Crit Roll. Uh, yeah. 
on Twitch and I just started watching and I, I was mesmerized. Like, what are these people doing? What is this? I, I've heard it. I've heard of D&D before, but I'd never seen it played out in such a way. And that got me hooked and that got me got me my start. Uh, and I've done so much since then. And it's been it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made. Oh, uh, just that's awesome. Just from a gaming and community and just storytelling and design standpoint, it's just it just fire. It, it hits the good parts of your brain. Somebody the, in my uh, in my home game got into D&D because of Critical Role and uh, didn't really know that I worked in like we, we had known each other for years and didn't know that I worked in games. And I got a message from them. Uh, I think it was like the, around Christmas of 2020. I had been on an episode of an Adventuring Academy on Dimension mm-hmm. 20. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess they were a big fan. I didn't know that. And they were watching it. They were like, what? You know Brent Lee Mulligan? You were on Inf- <laughs> like Adventuring Academy? And I was like, I didn't know you like tabletop games. And they're like, oh, I'm, like, I love watching Critical Role, but I've never played. And I'm like, let's do it. Um, and they're in my home game and we've been playing for like three years now. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, that's, but like, you know, so you, much fun. it's cool because it's like your your entry into the hobby is like watching other people play. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think that's why it's important to, you know, that's why I think actual play is so important. Um, but I also think it's important for people to know that like that's one way of playing. And the great thing about role playing games is that you can play them the way you want to play them exactly right yeah. there's no uh, one prescribed way to do it there isn't yeah i'm i'm bad at voices that's not a thing i'm good at but you know i, I have mean, an we ex- all are we really are oh, I'm so bad <laughs> no, but like i have an extensive background in like archaeology which is basically just academic world building let's be honest um and so like i'm really into world building i'm really into like having all of this lore um and i like having this like i have this huge campaign setting that i use and um i really let my players drive the story like i have a meta plot but i'm really sort of just reactive to what they want to do uh, at this point um and that's my style and that works for me and that works for my players um but that might not work for other people and so that's what i think is so great about it but i I guess to circle back to your question because you originally were like hey you know what i haven't you know, I didn't play a lot of the older D and D. Yeah, materials. and that's not a setting they've brought back. It is actually. Edition. Oh, it was is. this? Was that in? Um, so it's in the Sword Coast Adventures. In the guide. Sword Coast, okay. That's so. The, that's that's not one I've messed with much. It's it's mentioned, which makes it, I guess, you know, canonically fifth edition. Still and, there, yeah. It's still there, but yeah, I think if I were to revisit something like that, and it's actually something that like Paizo did with Tian Sha. Tian Sha is Paizo's sort of like their legacy pan-Asian setting. And what they did was they rebooted the whole thing. I can't really talk about the project at length um, because it's not out yet. But they hired an entire team of Asian creators and Asian artists. Oh, that's artists. awesome. And, and this is Pathfinder. This is correct. Pathfinder yeah. to mm-hmm. like basically like rewrite their world. Um, D&D's world is, you know, it's got a long storied history of, you know, misrepresenting Asian cultures or doing things like listing chopsticks as weapons and talking about how it's exotic and how even in their like sort of like Southwest Asian sort of setting, it's called Zahara. They literally in a fifth edition book talk about how it's like, oh, this is like a land where there are tales of like scimitar wielding rogues who fly magic carpets and talk to genies. 
and it's like it's tried trying to evoke like the idea of like Aladdin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And how like the Asian setting is like a place where you find gold and spice and jade and how everything there's all mysterious. Um, and it, it really descriptions of these places are, are that of like a Western perspective, not of a local mm-hmm. perspective. Um, if I were to sort of revisit them, I, I honestly, if I had the choice, I wouldn't even revisit them at all. And I would build something new from scratch. And I think the importance of building something new from scratch is that you don't have to work within the structure of something that is inherently problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the kind of one of the cool things that Radiant Citadel did. Yeah, it's brand mm-hmm. new. That's a great example. Yeah. It's brand new. And and the thing with Tian Cha is that Tian Cha is, is relatively newer compared to Karatur. So it, it carries a lot less of it doesn't carry as many of the problems it still had problems but it carried a lot fewer problems going into it um but yeah i would do something come you know completely new from the ground up would it, yeah that's a that would be my ideal approach otherwise like i think paizo made the best possible decision of having an all asian team Definitely. revisit this and be like okay that's super like cool. i only touch things that were coded chinese but in, in the Karatur, there is literally a, a town called Singtao, you know, like the beer. <laughs> it's it's literally called Singtao. And in the lore, it's a town that brews beer. Yep. In D D. And like they, they, they even had, I think, the funniest <laughs> <Man>. things. <laughs> yeah, so, so just soak that in. Yeah. Um yeah. there there's even a um they made uh, this is this is not in fifth edition. I know people are going to be like, "Oh, you're talking about things that aren't aren't ex- don't exist anymore." They literally made up a fake Chinese language. Oh no! Yeah, they made up a fake Chinese. Really? Jeez. Oh, yeah, I'll send you something right now. I'll put it in the <laughs> little chat we have. But they made a fake Chinese alphabet. Like, you just look at it, and it's just like it's cringy. Oh yeah. my gosh. They made a fake Chinese alphabet where they made fake Chinese characters that look like like yeah they look oh, like they literally so look bad. like the English alphabet yeah. with a bunch it's, of extra lines. It's really bad. Um, oh it's God. really bad. Wow. And like even you and I don't know if if you folks even speak Chinese or read Chinese, um, but just by looking at it, like based on your reactions, right, you got to be like, what's going on? Yeah. And the, the, I, the, the I can read it in English. Just, you can read it in English. Yeah, yeah, I can read this in English. This is so bad. It looks so, so much like the alphabet. And so when you know, there are a lot of people who are like, "Well, this is fantasy, right? Like, it's this isn't your culture." I I would disagree because you know everything we create. Like, I'm I'm assuming with even your own home games, right, or yeah. anybody else's stream content, when you're going and you're creating these worlds, they are informed by history, by world mythology, mm-hmm. by contemporary cultures, right? Yeah. And so when people say, oh, it's just fantasy, no, it's, it, yes, it is a fantasy creation, but it is rooted in something very real. Uh, and so, yeah, this is yeah. just like, it's a fake language. Yeah, but it's a, it's effectively a, like a parody of, of, you of know, real a thing. real yeah. East Asian language. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, it's, it's it's wild, and even if if you look even closer, um, if you look at the alphabet, 
the character they use for the letter Y is just the yen symbol. Yep. Yeah, I saw that. I was going through. I'm just oh like God. that. Oh, it's it's so like we'll have a link to it in the show notes, but it's so bad. Yeah, and so like you know, a cultural consultant is somebody who would be like, "This cannot go to this print. This is terrible. You should scrap <laughs> this whole thing. Like this cannot go to yeah. print." Um. Yeah. <laughs> so like you know, on a more extreme level, like this is how the cultural consultant would be like, "Absolutely no. Absolutely no. This that would be, be like this would be under <laughs> critical. Critical. Yeah. No. Remove. <laughs> like please don't." Um, or like, Hey, you're trying to use Chinese characters here, but this is, you're just writing nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spotted that in a D and D book as well, like an old one. Um, or like, Hey, this contributes to, um, like, uh, the dragon lady stereotype. I don't know if you folks are familiar with, with that one. I'm uh, sure you've I'm seen not... it in media. Probably. Um, probably. But like yeah, the, probably. the, the dragon lady is like a, a trope from, um, like you see it in a lot of like film noir and stuff, but it's this like stereotype that like East Asian women are like mysterious, like alluring, but also like villainous. Oh, is this like the Shanghai Shanghai Nights, Shanghai Noon type one? Uh, I mean, those movies are. I I I, <laughs> um, I I think the best example. I honestly couldn't think of an example off the top of my head. You know, uh, I'm, I'm just going to guess there. that James Bond you has could, gone up against one. Uh, yes, certainly. Certainly. <laughs> yeah, Asian probably. characters in, in, in spy thrillers, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I would say that that's like a, an example of that, uh, of like a, like the reinforcing of a stereotype. Or even you could say like the uh, appropriation of like cultures without context. Like mm-hmm. we were talking about Star Wars before the... Uh, like the, the start of like the recording. And if you think about like Padme Amidala's costumes when mm-hmm. on Naboo, like we're, we're talking so about like a, a, Asian cultures there. Uh, you know, we even saw that as recent as like the um, Andor mm-hmm. in, in Andor, the uh, Mon Mothma's daughter wears like a like a school uniform that is is just a, I believe it's like a, a Korean really um, clothing yeah super interesting I'm gonna look that up um just to confirm um but I spotted that and I was like oh yeah it's uh yeah it's heavily inspired by traditional Korean clothing and uh I'll, I'll send it to you right now and that's that's stuff that just kind of would like go over my head yeah completely. and it's like you and that's why you would hire somebody. And, you know, within the context of Star Wars, it's complicated, right? Because George Lucas was heavily inspired by Akira Kurosawa films. Yeah. And yeah. The, the Jedi are, are analogous to the outlawed samurai. Yeah. Um, then there are, of course, like the Western influences on Star Wars, like Sergio Leone's films, like the spaghetti Westerns. Star Wars is very much like a marriage of, uh, you know, Western and Asian cinema. So, like in in a way, it kind of makes sense. Like mm-hmm. if you watch the Bad Batch, do you folks watch the Bad Batch? Oh yeah. Okay, in the recent season of the Bad Batch, they were literally eating sushi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I take you know, this is a sci-fi world, and given like the you know Star Wars's roots, um, that's something that I would point out and be like, hey, you know, this looks like this. What were the intentions behind it? And I would have a discussion. But I wouldn't flag it as like, hey, you can't do that. Yeah. 
you can't do yeah, that yeah. because the Jedi are essentially samurai and the force yeah. is chi from Chinese kind culture. of pulling uh, themes and everything versus uh, appropriating it for like it, its own purpose. Uh, you, you could also say like, I mean, you could even just look at the direct effect of it. It's like, hey, for me, it's like, I think it's really cool that you can see these sort of Asian themes in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we had like Alec Guinness speaking in like a weird Asian accent, then I'd be like, okay, this is a problem. Like the that's, that's just yellow face. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Star Wars is a really complicated one, and Star Wars has been changing, right? We were, we're also mm-hmm. seeing a lot more Asian representation in Star Wars, like Paul Sung Ung Lee from Who Lives in My City, Toronto. Um, yes, is Carson Teva like yes. the most badass character? Uh, he's so cool. Um, that's some really neat positive Asian representation or like the casting of Sabine Wren in the Ahsoka mm-hmm. show in live action. Sabine is also just like, Sabine's an Asian character. Oh, totally. Um, oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or like we see complicated characters. We don't just see Asian characters as heroes or as like wise wisdom givers, right? Mm-hmm. We also see them as like complex villains. Like one of the coolest Asian characters in Star Wars that people don't talk about enough is Dr. Afra. Dr. Oh, yeah. Afra is so obviously Asian but is like one of is this like anti-hero sort of character and one of the few mm-hmm. characters to actually outsmart Vader at his peak in, in the Darth Vader comics. Um, Afra is like a rogue archaeologist, which really vibes with me. It's like, oh, the Asian <laughs> space archaeologist. Oh, um, yeah. But do you have murder droids? I mean, that's kind of the big yeah. thing. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that the murder one of the murder droids is a protocol droid, which is also like <laughs> no. it's a protocol and an astromech droid. Which I think are also really cool because they're not like they don't all look like cyborgs like like General Grievous or they don't mm-hmm. look like Republic era assassin droids. They're like it's a protocol droid. It's like <laughs> literally a dark chrome, like three PO who's going around torturing people and loves it too. It <laughs> loves it, right? And they're these twisted characters. And you guys are uh, making me add comics to my list right now. <laughs> if you haven't read the Darth Vader comics, God, you are missing out. They provide, really so, they provide so much context to like the Star Wars films. Mm-hmm. And you also see just like really cool moments. Like, did you know that there's such a thing as a lightsaber rifle? Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's literally do. a story arc when Joe Costa <laughs> I'm making knew, like, a note. <laughs> the, if, there's literally a story arc where Joe Costa knew who is like um like the librarian um of like like the Jedi archives, uh literally goes back to Coruscant to find like this basically hidden storeroom full of force related artifacts. And Vader is there and I just sent you an image and Mm -hmm. she literally goes toe to toe with Vader using a lightsaber rifle where she literally loads her own lightsaber into the rifle and is shooting lightsaber beams at Vader. It's so cool. It's really cool. (laughs) I won't say anymore, but it's, it's like one of my favorite star Wars moments. So this is the Vader you, comics. Yeah, this is the Vader comics. Vader, the, the run of Vader comics. Okay. Yeah, and, and, yeah there mean, have been multiple runs yes. of Vader comics. They're all good. Yeah, I okay. mean, the, 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 all one the, the best parts. May, all the Vader comics, writing down yeah. all the Vader comics. Yeah. But I mean, you, you really see the death of Anakin through them and stuff. And I mean, it's like uh, how he actually, you know, becomes subservient to the Emperor and stuff. And, see I him mean, mourn Padme. Yeah, it's, it's it's great. It's really cool. Good stuff. Um, a lot of context to the movies. Basically. A lot of context to the movies and just good storytelling. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. honestly, just good storytelling. Like I think one on like my, uh, on a sort of a show that I'm developing is like really inspired by the storyline from the Knights of the Old Republic comic. Mm. 
um, which my favorite Star Wars characters aren't really in the movies. Like I, I love Kanan Jarrus as one of my favorite characters of all time yes. uh, from Star Wars Rebels. I love Zane Carrick from the Old Republic comics, who's who's very similar to Kanan Jarrus. Same with Cal Kestis from the games. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Kanan Jarrus is probably my favorite like Jedi character. Yeah, um, yeah, man, the, the arc that you went through in Rebels was just amazing. So the fact that he was at the very beginning of the Bad Batch, too. I just love that. Yeah, yeah, it's Caleb Doom. It's, <laughs> you, guys he, are ma- you guys are making me excited because I'm finishing up Clone Wars right now. Oh, Rebels, Rebels has no bad Rebels. episodes. It has yeah. no bad episodes. Clone mm-hmm. Wars is like real up and down. Yeah, until, it really like, is. The, until like the last two or three seasons. <laughs> it really and it's like, okay, we're good now. Season, season, season seven is incredible, except mm-hmm. for the one arc with the the... Martell sisters. Yeah. Not very That's good. The one it, through, right? Oh, yeah. it's awful. It's it, cringe. Yeah. It's too long. But it's like, like an episode too long, at least. Yeah. And the fact that they come back in another arc <laughs> is like, oh, I'm like these two again. But like, <laughs> but like the Order 66 arc is so oh, good. I mean, so and I cry when I watch that arc. It It is I, just heartbreaking. Yeah. And, and it's just good storytelling. And then, you know, to on the note of like cultural consultants and like star Wars and involving diverse creators, we see Disney go and do star Wars visions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they Which did like an anthology cool. of star Wars stories in like created by like Asian creators using their own sort of visual styles. And it's just this homage to like Lucas's original influences mm-hmm. on Star Wars, and you kind of see it come full full circle in a really really cool way. Then done by those done by Asian, Asian creators, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and you know we're yeah, seeing it's very lo- very cool. Not only are we seeing like Asian characters in Star Wars, but we're seeing Asian creators as well who are like directing Star Wars, right? Like, I hate that. Like, I'm like, I'm I'm not the Alpha Daniel Kwan, right? We all know I'm not the 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 Alpha Daniel Kwan. The Alpha <laughs> Daniel Kwan is the one who did everything everywhere all at once and has an Oscar. Yeah, yeah. I don't. But that Daniel Kwan is actually with the other Daniel. His name I don't remember. Um, <laughs> it's the da- it's the Daniels. Yeah. It's, it's the Daniels. Daniels. The Daniels are the Daniels. directing a Star Wars series, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is super cool, and I want to see that. Um, but we also so we're starting to see Asian people behind the scenes, like we're seeing the Daniels directing Star Wars. We see Deborah Chow, who's like Canadian. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. from my city, Toronto, who directed some episodes uh, like the first season of The Mandalorian and directed all of Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we're seeing people making creative decisions. Uh, we're seeing that on Marvel as well, right? With Eternals. Say what you want about the movie, but Chloe Zhao was the director of that. Um, and we're starting to see that with D&D too, right? With like Candlekeep, Radiant Citadel. We're seeing that in... TTRPGs with like Tian Sha for Paizo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of the direction the industry needs to go, right? A lot of people are like, oh, well, we don't want diversity in, you know, the creative process. Well, it's just like, do you just want the same stuff over and over again? Yeah. The people who, you know, push back against hiring diverse creators are the same people who probably also complain that every Watsi product is the same thing. Yeah. Exactly. It's diverse, diverse creators bring diverse stories and more products, right? Yeah. And so, wouldn't you want more variety out there? Yeah. It, there are know, the people who are like, I don't want that. Well, then just play using the stuff you already have. Exactly. Well, and there's a huge history of that. 
Yeah. I think that's I think that's the biggest thing is that the the industry has been incredibly western dominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For for a long long period of time and we're starting to slowly come out of that some and we're getting things I, I again I think Radiant Citadel especially is such a a great example of that. Definitely. Because all those stories are so unique. Yeah, they're all different, right? Yeah. We we need you need to see. I mean, the, have you folks seen the D and D movie? Uh, yes. We have, yeah. Okay, good. Yes. So, like, the D and D movies are really. So good we'll example. just spoiler spoilers here. I'm not, not going yeah, to spoil anything. I'm not going to spoil anything. We won't spoil anything. anything. I loved it. First of all, I thought it was uh, we great. both we loved it totally. Uh, I thought both it was really cool. It. it was just like they use the Guardians of the Galaxy formula, yeah, like for D and D, and it's exactly. perfect because Guardians of the Galaxy is the James Gunn movies are basically just like a sci-fi TTRPG, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, totally. Um, like, but, my campaign would do that. But you, you go and you you look at the characters and the casting. Like, they're, they're, it's a diverse cast. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with it, right? Like, it's still a D&D movie, and it's exactly how D&D, like, it really captures how D&D feels. Yeah. And this is something that we want, right? We want to have diverse creators in positions creating the content, but also leading the development of content, just like, you know, we're seeing in Star Wars, mm-hmm. right? We're seeing, a, we're, we're seeing, it's not only just white men leading Star Wars. Yes, Dave Filoni, like, right? Um, and, um, oh my God. John Favreau. And John Favreau yeah. are absolutely crushing Star Wars and should probably lead Star Wars moving forward. But like they're having new writers, they're having different directors, exactly. they're having like they're casting people like like they're creating characters like Carson Teva, who are just cool and awesome, but also just exist within the world of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think that's really important to have that representation, not only with like unique brand new worlds like Radiant Citadel, but also seeing diversity within existing worlds that we know about, like in the D&D movie. Yes. Um, Right. Because it's like, I, I want to be an Asian character within like, I want to be Asian in Neverwinter. Right. Or, and so like, it's important to see these sorts of things. Um, It can inspire people. Like, like when you see, like just watching, like, uh, let's uh, take the, the new little mermaid film. Yeah. I'd seen people's reaction videos of these little girls going, she looks like me is just like the coolest thing to to see. If you folks watch, did you folks watch turning red? Yes. 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 So turning red. So actually turning red is really cool for me because it's, first of all, it's set in Toronto. It's about Toronto in the 90s uh-huh. right and i i i'm born and raised in toronto i'm born and raised in toronto i actually went to the same elementary school as uh domi shi who created turning red oh cool um, really we do not That's know each other cool. <laughs> but we went to the same pub- we went to the same school and like my upbringing was so similar to that characters and that's the first time i've ever seen me in a movie oh, and wow. i watched the movie with my partner and there's that scene when she she sees her mother, but her mother's like young and they're in that bamboo forest. Mm-hmm. And we paused the movie and I just cried for 10 minutes. I was like pausing. I just started crying for like 10 minutes because I was like, that is the kind of conversation I wish I had with my mother. Mm. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's why I think movies like everything everywhere all at once are so powerful as well, because we're seeing Asian families, Asian characters, 
and their stories being told in the West. Yeah. It's why another movie that I think is really good, um, Always Be My Maybe with Randall Park and Ali Wong, is such an incredible movie because, you know, they it, it's set in like the West. And it's a story that has like a like a you know a a, a femme character who is like like in charge, but it also is like one of those rare instances where Randall Park's character is the slacker Asian. Where have you seen a slacker Asian in a Hollywood production? The last one I can remember is Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, which is also groundbreaking for that reason. But like you don't, you always see Asian characters be like, oh, I'm like the nerd, I'm like you mm-hmm. know super studious. Or like I'm like a kung fu master or something, but you never see a stoner Asian, yeah, right. Um, and so for me, I think representation and to kind of root everything back in tabletop RPGs, it's so important to have people in creative, like leading the direction of like a product, you know, influencing that product as a creative, but also as a consultant, being there to help guide that process as like a third party. At the same time, it's also important to have representation situated within these established worlds. Uh, it's why for when I wrote the Book of Inner Alchemy for Candlekeep, I was we were told that essentially our story had to start in Candlekeep and it had to involve a book. And that story could take you to like a pocket dimension if you wanted. So some folks took that route. But I was really intentional about being like, no, I want my story to be set on the Sword Coast, I want it to be right near Candlekeep. I don't want people to have to, and this was my active decision, I don't want people to have to experience my Asian story in another world. I want it to be rooted in this world. So that's why Mm. the Book of Inner Alchemy does not take you to a different dimension. It literally just takes you into the woods (laughs) near Candlekeep. Um, And that was intentional. In the same way I really love the D&D movie, in the same way I really love Star Wars, we're seeing that representation within an established world. Yeah, and I mean, just having different perspectives adds so much more to storytelling overall mm-hmm. that, you know, a lot of people who, you know, are against it and everything, they just don't seem to understand, like, what they're missing out on. You know, like, obviously, Ryan and I, just two white guys doing a podcast, you know we kind of parrot each other sometimes because, you know, we have similar experiences and stuff, but you know, when we're able to bring guests on, when we're able to talk to other people, we get so many different perspectives and see things through, you know, different eyes. And it just adds so much more uh, of the world to us that we can experience. So being able to, you know, uh, look at different settings and bring different things into, you know, TTRPGs, Star Wars, anything else. It's so important to educate people like us. And it's one of the things that's I'm just so happy is happening a lot more these days. And not even just educating people like you, right? Because that also makes the assumption that all Asian people know about their culture. Yeah, exactly. Right? Or like all marginalized people like are aware of the same things, right? Mm-hmm. I know that there are a lot of people who like grew up being like fair like hesitant to actually use Asian themes in their games because they don't feel Asian enough, right? That's something you know, like being of the diaspora, like my my father was born in like a small village in China and my mother was born in Toronto um, and my father came to Canada when he was like 11 years old, the immigrant story, right? Um, but for me, and very similar to my mom, I am an outsider here in my mm-hmm. where I was born, but I'm also an outsider 
in like the motherland in China. Yeah. And like when I traveled to China for work and like when I was like in grad school, I was also an outsider there because I didn't speak Chinese as well. I don't have the same mannerisms as everybody. I mm-hmm. dress differently. Uh, I have these weird D&D tattoos. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Um, D&D isn't even the most popular RPG in China. It's like fate, apparently. Um, yeah. And um, but like I don't fit in in either place. Right. I am a child of two worlds, but I belong to neither of them. Yeah. And so it's so important to see that representation in these, you know, fictional worlds because we can examine these stories of the diaspora and of belonging, right? Because you, you see that in, uh, I mean, even in like Marvel's Shang-Chi, um, I have been very vocal about like the things I don't like about it. Um, mm-hmm. Like I don't like how like, the, like this Asian superhero has to literally go back to China to be a superhero. I think yeah. the movie would have been incredible if it was just set in San Francisco. I um, actually totally agree with that. <laughs> right? It's just like, oh, he goes back to China to be a Kung Fu master. God, come on. <laughs> um, like, and, and I think it would have been way better if, if like his, his mother was like an American and he was like actually a mixed kid. And I think that would yeah. have been a really interesting story. Um, but that's also why I, I like, you know, everything everywhere all at once, because it's the story of the diaspora. Like the daughter is not mm-hmm. like her parents and her parents mm-hmm. have these different ideals. And turning red's kind of like that. Turning red's the exact same yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Um, and that's my experience. And so like I want to see that. And seeing properties like everything everywhere all at once and seeing turning red receive all of this critical acclaim show me that my stories are worthwhile. Definitely. And that that's why yeah. I think tabletop RPGs are such an important medium because anybody can publish a tabletop RPG. Anybody can publish an adventure. Anybody can start a podcast and create an actual play, right? And it's so important for people to see other marginalized people creating and telling their stories. And that's why like Asians represent. Like that's why we did it. I think one of the proudest th- moments for me was when Paizo announced the Tian Sha thing. So so many people were like, so did you just basically just get all of the Asians represent people on this project? <laughs> and I was like, or like, did you just go through the Asians represent Discord and just find all the people who have been guests on the podcast or stuff like that? And like I find that for me, if I were to disappear from RPGs, I, I feel fulfilled that I've I've done something important because we've used our platform. And like I've tried to use my platform responsibly to show people that, that hey, you know, our stories are important in in this medium, right, or in this genre of games. Um, just like I've seen with Turning Red or with Everything Everywhere mm-hmm. All at Once, it's like, hey, our stories do matter, and there is a um, there is a desire for these sorts of stories. Right. If they succeed, you know, monetarily, that means people will make more of them. And if people are really open about like, hey, you know what? I I want to talk about my heritage. I want to bring my character in. Like, you know, a really cool thing. No, uh, no, no spoilers. No, no spoilers in uh, in the latest season of The Mandalorian. Um, Carson Tava returns. Carson Tava 
for those of you who who don't watch the Mandalorian, you probably should. Um, is definitely is, uh, is a is a human character who basically um, is a member of the Delphi Rangers uh, of the New Republic. So he's an X-wing starfighter pilot. He's super cool. He is played by a uh, a Korean Canadian actor uh, who's very famous in Toronto. He starred uh, in both the stage production and the TV adaptation of a story called Kim's Convenience uh, yeah. about a you know, a Korean family. Kim's Convenience is a real convenience store here in Toronto. Um, I did and, not know that, but that's yeah, super cool. I didn't know that yeah, there's a real Kim's we, we Convenience. Like quite a bit like, of Kim's Convenience. And Simu Liu, Shang-Chi, was, mm-hmm. was in Kim's Convenience. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the actual Kim's Convenience store is is a is real place in Toronto on Queen Street. Um, and uh, I, I think there, it might be torn down for a condo. Um, but... Uh, in The Mandalorian, Car- the character of Carson Teva in the latest episode wears this really awesome leather bomber jacket. Like it's really, it's like it's like Star Wars Top Gun. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. Yep. And Paul, who plays like Carson, is a is a fan. He was a fan first before he was even mm-hmm. cast in Star Wars. I think he's a member of the Five O First. He is really into like Star Wars and costuming, and he actually helped with the costuming uh, for his character. And on his leather jacket, he's got this patch on it. And he has confirmed this on Twitter, but the patch has the colors of the Korean flag on it. And in Orabesh, the the like the sort of like the written language in Star Wars that you see, there are there are the characters EY on the patch. He said it's for East York, which is the borough of Toronto that he lives in. That's awesome. And it's it's, so for me, being like, I'm not Korean, I'm Chinese, but like I'm seeing this like Toronto icon get this huge spotlight in Star Wars and it shows me that like, oh, this is possible. Like this is like, this is just so cool to see. And don't we want that in tabletop RPGs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think of all the, you know, think of all the people who see the actors, you know, in the, the D&D movie and be like, oh, I could, I could do that. I could be an actor or, or oh my God. I can make a character like that in my D&D game. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I think the best character in the movie was, was Zank the Paladin. Like, oh my gosh. Like, it was like <laughs> oh my they, gosh. they captured just how obnoxious a lawful good character is. <laughs> they just captured how obnoxious that uh, paladin it's, can be it's in so the good. most perfect way. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, like how many people are going to be like, oh, my character can look like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's just so cool. And or or like, oh, my character can look like that and have their backstory rooted in what is typically has been traditionally framed as like a white land. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. so important. Yeah. Um but yeah, I know we're not talking about cultural consultants anymore. But, no, <laughs> but this we're is talking about representation now. Yeah, it, no, which this is, is this is amazing. Yeah, this is it's it's super important. It's super important. It like it all goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier is the people who can go look at these things or play in these things and go, I can see myself in this. Yeah. And that's and that's an amazing thing because then that will inspire more that will inspire the next generation of people to create and to and to do those sorts of things. And that's why the diversity and that's why the representation matters. Yeah. And yeah, even absolutely. more so the people who 
aren't from that world get a chance to step into it and see it as well. And if they end up like in that world, of course, they're going to want more. Because different points of view are incredibly important to have. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a it's a modern skill too, right? It's mm-hmm. um, it's such a low risk way to expose yourself to like the world. Yeah, it's it's I I see no reason not to do it. Um, I mean, if you if you think about sort of like the be- the coolest things about D anD D is that D anD D and other tabletop games, because I know your show is obviously about centered around D&D so we'll, we'll keep it about D&D I think like the cool thing about D&D is that it's just such a powerful tool for like informal learning and like discovering new perspectives yeah it's like a fantasy world but at the same time you're also encouraging sort of meaningful connection with the world beyond the table right the world that inspires the story the world that inspires mm-hmm. the world right I, yeah. I just think that's that's so cool like w- why wouldn't you want that yeah, and it can it can be a, a a safe space to learn and grow in things. I I have played characters that are completely not me. Yeah, and like and, and it's and a good thing. And you're safe to do that in your home, yeah. right? And yeah. wouldn't it be awesome if the product that you were using to make your character maybe provided you guidance on how to do that more respectfully? Yeah, or exactly. gave you more detail. Yeah, like, well, I I see no negative in that. Yeah. There's no, there's no downsides to that. It's like, no. I, I want to try this out. Oh, and there's a bunch of guidance over here on how I can do that in a, in a what to good, avoid. safe mm-hmm. way. And yeah, what tropes to avoid or stereotypes to avoid or all those and, different things. It's, it's and great. And I think when people hear like the word safe, they're like, oh, don't tell me how to play my game. No, that I mean, you play the game you want to, like the way you want to play it. And I, I, I tell this to my, my clients. People will always find a way to do something awful with your game. No matter what, people are going to yeah. find a way to do it. Right? People are awful it's, it's anyway. Just the re- people are awful anyways. That's like the reality of the world. Um, but I think if you as a creator or even if you're, I think there's so much an emphasis on like, oh, if you're a creator, if you just want to play D&D. Like th- this applies to even if you never intend on publishing, if you just want to be a fan. Because honestly, there are times when I'm like, I don't know if it's worth it working in this industry. I think I just want to be a fan, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think that we all kind of, I, don't even, oh, I forgot where I was going now too. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse hey, on your show. Oh, you're fine. Okay, fuck. Um, <laughs> I, I think that, oh yeah. So when we're talking about like safe, um, like the word safe and people being like, you know, upset, like, oh, you know, people will always find a way to, like, do something negative with mm-hmm. your work, right? Or people will always find a way to do that, it, it's something negative in, like, a creation that they publish or even in their home game. I can't control what you do with my work, right? But I, as, like, somebody who is trying, I'm not going to say I'm perfect. I'm not going to say that I'm good. Um, somebody who is always trying to be better, I can say that I took the steps as a creator to minimize harm. Yeah. Like I can go and may, with confidence be proud of what I put out because I know that I did everything that I could within my means to not cause harm to people. Yeah. And so when people hire a cultural consultant, 
yeah, your cultural consultant is going to help you make your game better, right? Of course, people are still going to try to do awful things with their game. They're going to, if you have a cultural consultant, write a whole section on, hey, how to role play as a Chinese character. People can just ignore it, right? It's not mm -hmm. like a video game where you have to interact with the systems that are placed in front of you. In a role-playing game, the great part about it is that you don't have to use those systems. But sometimes when people disregard systems, they do it in hateful ways. Yeah. And so you as a creator, you as like a fan, just do just do your best to to make sure that, you know, you don't enable that sort of negative behavior. Exactly. Right? People are going to yeah. do it anyways. You just don't want to enable it. Yeah, and right. a part of that is hiring a cultural consultant if you can. And I say a part of it because a cultural consultant is not the end all be all like we've discussed. Yeah. And, I, and it's one of those, I think, it, at, at the end of the day, too, when you know better, you should do better. Uh, like if I now yeah. if I know better, I should try and do better. Because there's a totally. lot of a lot of a lot of ignorance that I I know personally. I've done a lot of things in ignorance, but at the same time, once you know better, you try and do better. Exactly. And I think and cultural consulting I think plays into that a lot, uh, where people are now, oh, I want to care about this because I didn't know that I was causing harm. I didn't know that I was perpetuating harmful stereotypes or something. Now I want to try and fix that. Shouldn't and, we want to care, the right? Shouldn't yeah. we want mm -hmm. to care, right? I, I think that, you know, <laughs> a lot of people kind of go in and are, and are afraid of making mistakes too. Um, I, I think a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to get crucified if I like make this mistake, right? Or if I make a mistake at home or if I make a mistake online. Um, I think we as people need to also take the stance of like, hey, you know what, like, People are going to make mistakes and we have to do our best to, you know, if we have the bandwidth, try to ed educate people. Mm -hmm. Because I would rather talk to some, like there are people who interact with me on Twitter all the time who my first interactions with them were an argument over like representation or something. And because, you know, we, we've, I have the bandwidth to take the approach of like, hey, I'm just going to explain why I think this is bad and have a conversation about it and be civil. You know, they become an ally. They become somebody who wants to continue learning, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than be like, this is racist, you're awful. Um, and yes, there are people who are just awful and like, I don't want them in my community and they can get the fuck out. But I think there are people who are genuinely trying and just don't know any better. And I think those people are the people who would benefit from a product that has gone through a cultural consultant. Yeah. So, so it, we don't enable that sort of negativity. Exactly. If you're a player at one of those tables and the DM just kind of keeps hitting those, those stereotypes and everything, bring it up, talk to them about yeah. it. And you know what, if they decide to keep doing it and are jerks, it's maybe it's not a game for you. Leave. Yes. I've always said no D and D is better than bad D and D. Oh, a hundred percent. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. I don't, I've, I don't, I, I've, I've had, definitely I've had have experience one, with that. Yeah. I've had one really bad experience. It was at a con. Um, but it wasn't D and D. It was um, uh, Tales from the Loop, which is a great RPG. Uh, I really, I really love Free League's products. Um, and I was playing. I don't play a lot of con games, 
because you know it's hit and miss. It's it hit is, and miss. It's a crapshoot, definitely. It's really hit and miss. And if I'm going to go to a con and I'm going to play a game there, I'll sign up to play a game that like a friend is running, or I'll sign up with a whole group of friends. Or mm-hmm. the last con I was at. We didn't even sign up for any games. We just brought our own magic cards. We just played magic at the con. <laughs> um, but this was like, this is years ago um, in the before times, before the pandemic. Um, but I was at a, a big convention, like the biggest fan convention in Toronto. It's called Fan Expo. And I was playing Tales from the Lou. And there was this guy at the table. And we were all like, have you folks played Tales from the Lou, by the way? No, I haven't. No. It's, it's okay. So it's a, it's a sci-fi RPG set in the 80s. Oh, cool! Uh, it's like it's like Stranger Things, but without the like supernatural kid. It's like if Stranger <laughs> Things didn't have Eleven, basically. Uh, gotcha. And you know there is old like eighties sci-fi movie, old eighties like sci-fi movie where there's like a facility and like there's mysteries happening mm-hmm. and stuff. It's cool, and uh, the different classes are like the different archetypes of like the characters, <laughs> and as you can imagine. One player, since I'm talking about a negative experience, one player was insistent that I play a certain type of character. Mm. And he was like, you have to be the computer character because you're the only Asian person at the table. Uh, and would like, uh, would we could not get past character creation because this person was so insistent that I play the Asian and character. And they're just a random other player? They're just a random other person at this oh. table. And their whole thing was, well, for the sake of balance in the party, like we're trying to optimize a party of teens in an 80s movie. Um, <laughs> so we have the full Goonies. Yeah. What do we do without the full Goonies? Yeah, like, like first of all, like Kiki Kwan, like, like, like Oscar-winning actor, icon. Data, Definitely. great character. But like if I'm going in, like, there shouldn't be the expectation that I play that character. And... Probably one of the weirdest con experiences, like the organizers had to get involved. And wow. like, and I just like, I, I was like, I just, I should have walked away, but the person, we basically, the organizers, the, the GM and the table had to basically tell the guy that Daniel doesn't have to play the Asian computer nerd <laughs> and had to like convince this person that it wasn't my responsibility to play that character. And I ended up playing the game. I don't remember anything about the game. I just remember the negative interaction I had before we even started telling the story. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that, that's that's sucky because that's not the memory you want to be left with. No, no. And like, I actually, I, I think of con games. I think I have more negative memories than positive ones, mm-hmm. or the negative ones are at least outweigh them. Yeah. Right. But look, it's like it's that's why it's really important to make friends in the community. Right. Go to cons together. Um, not because all con games are shitty, um, but because, you know, it's always nice to experience your, your interests with people you care about. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're able to make some new friends. You're able to introduce them to the ones that you already have. Totally. Uh, And best cons for me are cons where we just sit in the lobby and chat. Yep. (laughs) And, And I think tabletop RPGs just in general are one of the best coolest mediums for that because it's that shared storytelling experience that you don't get in a lot of other a lot of other mediums i guess Mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely something you don't it's something definitely unique to to role-playing games 100 percent, because it's so inherently social yeah yeah 
definitely uh D D on the you know D was one of the things that helped me get through the pandemic oh my god yeah it was. yeah yeah i, I played D with my parents for the first time because of the pandemic because we were like kind of That's like super cool doesn't sing like we had a sunday <laughs> game where like my partner and i are here and my brother is at his place and my mom and dad were at their place and we got them on a on a vtt and i had D D beyond and like we, we literally played a camp we did a campaign not a one shot played a full-on oh my gosh that's so cool yeah we played through the um the the explorer's guide to wild mount intro adventure the frozen sick okay yeah Uh, we played through the entire thing and then we did an in-person one and i brought out my dwarven forge and everything (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) yeah we we ended up doing a couple sessions of the star wars 5e hack as well very cool and it was just like cool playing that and i realized that a lot of people are envious of that like i played dd with my parents Mm -hmm. like it's cool um but yeah it was a it was a neat thing to do because like i got to see what kind of players my parents are (laughs) yeah like like my my brother was like played the rogue and he just constantly tried to mess with everything my dad played a barbarian and you can imagine what my dad did he was just like i hit it like (laughs) and my mom played the asian mom and she played a cleric and her whole thing was making like kanji <laughs> like, like chinese <laughs> porridge both it was like i want to make kanji and i want and she, my mom's really into like you know traditional chinese medicine and like that sort of stuff and she's like i want to put goji berries in it because i know this is good for this and that's how we like and it was, cool let's do it let's make your spells all about that that's and amazing. so she was a cleric and all she was just this asian mom who went around cooking for everybody that's and incredible. and like incredible. and it was cool um and yeah, and then, like I, and I hope more people get the opportunity to do that, and I hope more parents out there, you know, introduce their kids to role playing games and incorporate aspects of their own cultures to the games, because because that's a really cool way of teaching too, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. No, I uh, yeah, <laughs> I did a one shot for my Love parents. It. it went slightly different. Uh, funny, oh. funny enough though, my dad also the barbarian, my mom also the cleric. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> we were just in a goblin fight and. Uh, my mom, even though she knows that she could heal everybody, didn't care. She just wanted to kill one of the goblins. <laughs> so they just they spent about three rounds missing each other before finally my mom took care of this goblin. My That's dad's so just funny. all like, I want to kill that one and then move to that one and then that one. I'm like, Well, you're level two, but you know, we'll 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 keep working on that. And that's why you can yeah. bend the rules too, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why you can yeah. bend the rules. Be like, ah, oh, yeah, I mean it's got a ton of HP, but at this moment's kind of cool. Yeah, you kill it. <laughs> yeah, we, we had some fun, but uh unfortunately my sister's the only one in my family who who D is really stuck with. And um we were able to pull her into my campaign like maybe a third of the way into it uh once the pandemic started and she's just fallen in love with it and everything. So it's, it's I... out pretty good. I wish that was the case for, for my family. Like we did it, but we haven't done it in a while. My brother's like kind of type was like, Oh, I'm too busy. Cause my, I was actually talking uh, to my mom again. She was like, oh, we should play again. I was like, yeah, like totally. Um, and my brother, and I'm like, I'll, I'll talk to my brother. And my brother is always like, oh, I'm too busy. I'm like, I saw you on Instagram. You were just at mom and dad's place making focaccia. <laughs> like, like you got four hours to play a D and D one shot. <laughs> like you're you're spending time with them already. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, let's just let's spend time just in a different way. Yeah, just yeah, adding more it, purpose yeah. to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah and like you know, we've been talking about like having on gone on a vacation in a really long time, and uh, we were talking about like just disconnecting, going and like doing like a like renting out a cabin 
And so, and my brother's like, oh, but Daniel's probably just going to want to play magic with us and D and D with us. And I'm, I'm like, my mom's like, yeah, we should. That'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get off your phone. It's a great mom. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. My mom's on. My it. mom is the reason why I play D and D in the first place. Like oh, she, I wouldn't awesome. have found D and D without my mom signing me up for this like D and D club thing, right? I probably wouldn't have gotten into it because my mom, I was not a very good reader. Like I became an academic, which is funny, and a writer. <laughs> um, but like, you know, mental health isn't something you talk about in like my culture, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, I'm dyslexic and I have ADHD, but like I didn't discover that until I was an adult. Yeah. Um, but my mom just like just to get me to read. I was like, what do you want to read? I was like, I want to read D&D books. So my mom would just buy me all the D&D books I wanted because it would just get me to read. That's awesome. And get me to work my writing. And D&D is honestly why I'm really good at math. Like quick math, like mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you know, playing D&D. My favorite edition is the math edition. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right? So yeah, and I'm really lucky that my mom, while not understanding D&D, saw it as something that really excited me and got me to do things that were educational. That's great. Yeah. Right? Which is like, yeah, cool. read all the comics you want. Let yeah, let's get you the D D books because it'll just get you to read. Yeah. I, I I even remember it might have been from your article or one of the other people who were posting about it. They're talking about like the the official D program, like nine million students. Yeah, nine point five million students. Yeah, that was in my article. So cool. Yeah, like, it's that's, awesome. Like, that's I, amazing. I I mean when I was in grad school, like I taught at a museum. I, I worked at the Royal Ontario Museum. Actually, it was my first job. It's actually where I learned how to play D and I've told the story on a lot of podcasts, but so I'll keep it real short. But like, it's Canada's largest cultural and natural history museum, and they had a D and D club there, and you, there was a, like a teacher, and they had a staff of GMs, and you would literally learn history and science in the museum, and then go play D and D in the gallery. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. And like my mom put me in this camp when I was a kid with my brother. And that's how what got me into D&D and it's what got me into archaeology. And I actually met my future academic advisor when I was like 11 years old. <laughs> that's awesome. Wow. And he remembers me too. And we, have, we still talk. We have this great relationship. And, cool. and like that's how I got started there. And like I ended up, my first summer job was at the museum playing D&D. Um, and then like when I got my my degree, I was like, well, now I can teach this class and I can teach at the museum during the year using D&D for education while I, you know, support myself as a grad student. Um, my labs upstairs, I can go to my lab and then I can teach when I when it's like when I have my classes. Uh, I think I've taught like for a thousand kids how to play D&D um, and other tabletop RPGs. And I actually got a I got back in touch with one of my um former students um and they're writing their own rpg now which is like so cool it's so That's cool awesome which is so cool um so yeah it's i rpgs and education i don't know like i think chris pine said it in an interview he was like i don't get why all schools don't have a D program yeah because they should um, I wish I wish I had it that, well, that while I was so growing great up. Growing up, right? Yeah. yeah, like you know, you you um, there is a um, uh, let me find him. There's a a great teacher. Uh, he's yeah, he's still active on Twitter. Um, so uh, his name is uh, Ethan uh, Schoonover. Um, I'll send you his Twitter. 
Um, he's super cool. Um, last Gen Con I was at, we we had dinner together. But he's a teacher, and he ran he runs or or ran a uh, a D and D club for the the girls at the school he taught at. Super cool dude. Um, there are a lot of people using tabletop RPGs for education as well, and not just in North America uh, uh, too. There is a um, like an artist. I'll send you his. Uh, he does Star Wars stuff too. So I know that uh, Ben, you'd like it. Um, his name is Kyrol Hisham, and he's in Malaysia, and he uses RPGs to teach English to adults. Um, but he's also cool. really into like sci-fi RPGs and Star Wars. He's Very really cool. cool. That's super um, cool. Yeah, there are a lot of people who are doing just like cool things with uh, just doing cool things with D and D. Yeah, and other tabletop games. Yeah, and honestly, I think that's probably a really good transition point. Yeah. So that because we could literally talk to you for for hours, <laughs> but I want you to be able to sleep. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> yes, I think it's, that, it's almost one a.m. here. Yes. Yes. So I think that's a really good transition point uh, to promote your stuff, all the cool things you are doing or have done in D and D and beyond. Uh, I stuff I've done is in the past. Um, <laughs> I think if if folks are were you know are interested in this conversation. Um, like I really encourage you to actually check out my podcast, Asians Represent. Like you can find it on YouTube, Spotify. Um, there's a lot more content on the audio podcast because we only started the YouTube stuff during the pandemic. Um, but we we talk about Asian representation in games media and beyond. Uh, it is not a show that's just for Asian people. Uh, it's a show for anybody who wants to learn about representation. Like if you thought, you know, if you like this conversation about cultural consultants, we We've done multiple episodes on that. Uh, if you want to learn how to create, you know, interesting worlds or sources of inspiration, we did like a whole episode on like, like horror inspiration and the appeal of games like Call of Cthulhu in Japan. Like we we, we go into like like niche subjects. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We did like a deep dive into like why why do Japanese like gamers like Call of Cthulhu. Isn't it like one of the biggest? It is the biggest RPG. TTRPG. It's the biggest in Japan. In Japan. So while D and D is like synonymous with the TTRPG here, Call of Cthulhu is synonymous is like the D and D of Japan. That's it's super really interesting. interesting. And then they also have their own sort of like 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 local RPGs. And the way RPGs are like even designed in Japan and the way the books are formatted are really different. Like there's a like actual play is not really a thing there. But replays are a thing there in Japan. And it's literally written actual play. Hmm. Huh. Like, yeah, it's like written actual play. Like, literally all the interactions, like the jokes, it's all written out. And a lot of Japanese RPGs, like tabletop RPGs that are made in Japan, uh, a section of the book is typically dedicated to a replay. And it's used to teach people how to play games. Super interesting. Can you, th- can you imagine, like, if the player's handbook literally had, like, a, a, uh, an extended section and it was just like how people are running the game like hey let's do the introduction let's talk about safety let's introduce your character let's make our first roles like and that's and that's something they i th- i think you had mentioned they talked about trying to do a little bit more yes in the new 2024 book i don't think in that right? format but it is like they want it to be a journey 
to yeah. like making your first character but instead of just, just like, the, the mishmash that, yeah <laughs> that is like the dungeon master's guide right now but just like you said like you got into DD through critical role imagine if you picked up your first book and you got to read through an actual play to learn how to play and to kind of set expectations on what a game looks like um but yeah we talk about that sort of stuff on like asians represent uh we talk about like cultural appropriation but also how to do things like like we talk about like decolonizing RPGs and what does that mean? We're starting a new sort of like seasonal series called Homebrewing Asia, where we're literally going to dive into different Asian cultures. We're going to be like, okay, Homebrewing cool. Asia, let's talk about China. Well, we're going to, and we're going to just kind of go through it with a lot of different guests. So if you're into that, you know, check that out. Um, if you want to know, like, obviously know more about my experience with like D&D Summit, you can find it on, uh, my Substack. Honestly, the best way to find me is just go to Twitter. Uh, it's twitter.com slash Daniel H. Kwan, K-W-A-N. Uh, it's where you'll find links to all of my work, like my Patreon, my Substack, where I, to set the expectation, I don't just write about D&D. I just happen <laughs> to put my D&D thing on there. Um, I write about a lot of other things. Um, but yeah, Substack's where you'll find that. My design work, if you're interested in my indie work, you can find that on like itch.io, uh, Daniel H. Kwan um, on itch.io. Um, you can basically find me at Daniel H. Kwan pretty much everywhere. Yeah, and Branding. you have uh, you have two drive-through RPG supplements for D and D. Yes, well. and and those are also on my itch store. Um, but yes, I do have. Um, uh, unfortunately, I released it literally just before the OGL thing, so I couldn't even talk about a work, piece of work I was really proud of. Um, but yeah, I really, my most oh, recent D&D release as an independent creator is called Blades of the Lunar Kingdom. And it is essentially a collection of swords from Chinese history um, made for D&D and uh, rules for Chinese swords as well in 5th edition D&D. Um, so if you're interested in like magic swords, wuxia, or just introducing some sort of Chinese weaponry into maybe your existing Asian-inspired campaign setting, you could find that. Uh, on drive through RPG. Cool. Awesome. Well, man, Daniel, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've learned I've, a lot. I've, I've really enjoyed it. It was totally worth staying up late. Oh, good. I hope that did sound sarcastic. <laughs> totally worth it. Totally worth it. Literally, like, I have been just like, I don't want to be on social media right now. I'm just, I'm really tired of it. I was just gonna I was gonna play Neverwinter Nights <laughs> on my own if I wasn't doing this. Um, uh, which I realize is, is not really distancing myself from the whole D D thing. It's literally just immersing myself even further. That's um, eh, far enough. It's uh, fine. It's yeah, it's, it's on my own. But uh, no, I really enjoy this. And and again, like anytime, happy to happy to come on and talk. Yeah, we, we really appreciate that a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh we will have all the links that Daniel mentioned in the show notes at dndiscussions.com. Mm -hmm. Definitely make sure to check that out. Uh, because things are running long, we will probably save our D&D stories for next time. There's some juicy ones, and they may go really long. Because <laughs> we I just ended. Played, so perfect. And, yeah, poor Ben hasn't hasn't gotten to play. Saturday it's it's so sad. Hopefully. Uh, I, I, my, my group hit like a scheduling thing. We oh, we yeah. we didn't we didn't play for like a month. That's about oh. where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah, and it was Those just like, was like oh, come on. Um, yes. And it was like it was literally. I'll, I'll be real quick. My home game, uh, four players plus me. Um, 
the current party exists of only two of the original characters. Um, oh, two other players, they, they've either had their characters die or have exited the game temporarily, the story temporarily. Yeah. Um, but we were literally at a transition point after this big battle. I did this whole like Dark Souls esque battle, and I had a I, I designed a boss with multiple phases, like in Dark Souls. Or mm-hmm. Elden Ring. So, those are always so much. Fun. It was so fun. But like one of the characters, he sacrificed himself, um, not to die, but he like he took he took power from the boss to join them to to Ooh. basically end the fight. And so he, my one player, was like, "Oh, I got to make a new character." But his character backstory, we tied it to another character. But that one player, our rule is like, if one person can't make it, we still play. But if two people can't make it, we don't do it. Mm-hmm. But in this case, the one player whose character, existing character was tied to this new character, he, he couldn't make it. So we couldn't oh, do a proper character. We can't, you can't introduce yeah. We can't introduce new characters. Oh, no. And we were just like, oh my God. We, we, maybe we should have not tied your backstory to this, to any of the characters. But yeah, but we ended up doing it finally. But we, we basically didn't play for like a month. And it killed I mean, me. Oh, yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard, right? Because especially when you're, even if it's the same people, bringing in a new character to an existing campaign, especially if it's like post-level it like now. <laughs> 7 or post-level 10, it's hard because yeah. they don't just automatically fit into the party mm-hmm. dynamics. It's even though the player's the same, the character is still all new in the party and so you almost have to have some sort of hook like that to emotionally connect them with the rest of the party to get the other <laughs> yeah. the rest of the party's characters to care you know, about we went, we went from this we, we this one player went from having a really really powerful dampier monk to being a really annoying glass cannon bard <laughs> <laughs> And so the team lost its its DPS character. Yeah, Oof. you know, Ryan, this might be a really good topic for the future. I, I don't think we've touched on it before, but bringing in a new yeah. character like post seven. Or that's 10 a good or topic. That's yeah, a good that topic. Would be a really good topic. Sometimes that's hard. players. We we talked about it too. Like maybe your yeah. group isn't vibing with you, or maybe you're not vibing with a group, and somebody leaves, which is totally okay, right? Expectations shift. Mm-hmm. What? How do you bring in a new person? I think that's that's a great topic. Yeah, and that's that's even more so than just the same person bringing in a new character, bringing in a full new person into an yeah, established that group. Yeah, that's oh my gosh. Yeah, that's that's it's well, it's hard. Got a lot a of experience topic. on that in plus five. So yeah, I mean, there's a there's a new web series called The Party uh, that just, just started. Just started. Oh, yeah, just started. Uh, and it that's a story kind of about that where oh, they bring man. it's an established campaign that is bringing in this new new person who is an academic uh who is kind of using them to do their like post-grad yeah Mm -hmm. uh but trying to had to convince all the people why she should be allowed to to join their current party that had been playing for a year already can you send me the link to that yeah i totally i I get like i get like the office vibes but also like the guild that web series with oh it's very very like spiritual successor to the, the guild. guild in a lot of ways. I love the guild. I think I've got signed DVDs somewhere here. Like, that the guild was one of my like yeah, I, yeah that was MMO MMO based. Yeah, it was MMO, but it, but it was I, still the vibe of like I was. I'm a huge MMO player. I played WoW for 15 plus years. Like that was like oh my gosh. I like I got that. I got that show. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this. 
yeah, they've got the they they just started. It's a it's a pretty honestly high end production, um, oh, and they've got me. like oh, three episodes me. out right now, and they release new episodes every Tuesday. We'll have this we'll have this in the show notes now that we're talking yeah. about it. We'll have this in the show notes uh, so people people can see. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's really great. the The cast is is been really fun, and it is extremely relatable and kind of call call in calling you out a little bit <laughs> it feels like sometimes oh, I, too. I'm, yeah i'm into this there's, there's three episodes out right now i'm gonna i'm gonna watch this all tomorrow yeah it's it's fun me my wife and i have been have been watching through these uh because she plays in one of my campaigns and it's it, it's fun it's a fun shared experience <laughs> because oh, really cool we, we can both we both get it and they just like the last one, they had a big montage of the the optimizer guy trying to teach the new player how to play. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but it's it's D&D based. Uh, yeah. So it's it's very relatable to a lot of the stuff we do. So definitely check that out. Just started uh, very, like, very high production values. They brought in even some like bigger guests from the RPG community. I think uh, like Ali Beardsley is going to be in it. Uh, Vince Casso. Uh, oh, wow. Is, is in it. He's the, he's the X <laughs> of the, <laughs> That's awesome. of the DM. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fun. It's really, really fun. Oh yeah. This looks awesome. This looks like right up my alley. I'm going to 100% watch it. Thank you for the recommendation. I don't want to keep you folks though. We like, we could just keep talking. We're vibing. Yeah, now. We, just, keep yeah, talking. Look, just keep talking. I live in Arizona. It's only 10 o'clock. I'm good. Yeah. So. Ben's, Ben's just like, this isn't late. Yeah, I'm the reason it's it? as late as it is for everybody on the East coast. <laughs> hey, you know, it's okay. Um, it was a good conversation. It was. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Ben, let's, let's, let's bring this thing in for a landing. All Why right. don't you uh, tell everybody where we can be reached? Can do. Well, first of all, again, thank you so, so much for joining us, Daniel. Yes. It's been an amazing conversation. And I know that I, I definitely want to have you back at some point. I can oh, speak for time. Ryan. I know he wants to, so we'll get you back on sometime. Cause th- this is, this has been great. Um, but anyway, so if you're a listener and you're like, Hey, discussions this is kind of cool first time you've ever listened to us guess what every single episode is on dndiscussions.com or on your podcast player of choice there are 80 some odd other episodes that you can kind of dig into uh some have guests some don't uh so check it out if you like it cool um now if you have any questions comments i uh, want to tell us about uh, some of the the cool games that you've been playing or something that you want to uh you know maybe um tune us into for you know a really cool uh I don't know, settings, something, something, whatever. I don't know. You want to contact us, send an email to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Or if it's something a lot shorter, you can send us a message on Twitter. Uh, we are at dndiscussions. Uh, if you're looking for Ryan specifically, he is at tvkzord. If you're looking for me specifically, I'm at Ben Bumhofer. And uh, of course, if you've been sitting here listening to us, you're like, God, these guys don't know what they're talking about. I bet they don't even play. Well, guess what? We do. Uh, we are on an actual play podcast called Plus Five to Hits. Uh, we are working our way through Rhyme of the Frostmaiden right now and having a lot of fun with it. The last, uh, well, the last episode that uh, is not out yet, I did something kind of crazy. It was very silly. It. It was silly nice. and it, 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 it kind of made the day a lot easier, I would say. <laughs> so anyways, um, so, happy accident. Yeah. So happy check accident. that out. Plus five to hit it, it. We have a lot of fun with it. Um, but uh, anyways, yeah, like I said, Ryan, always a pleasure. 
Daniel, thank you again. And everybody who's listening, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of DN Discussions. And until next time, be good to each other. Thank you so much, Daniel. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye.